Hello and welcome to the Grace Place NYC. We are a church in the neighborhood of Hamilton Heights in Harlem. Our purpose is to live for Christ, love the lost, and transform our culture. Do you consider yourself a greedy person? Raise your hand if you consider yourself a greedy person. Most of you would probably answer, no, I'm not greedy. I do stuff for other people. I share. I'm generous. But I would say most of us underrate the power of greed in our lives. In fact, I would say that most of us are clueless about how much greed has actually gripped our hearts. When I say the word greed, who or what comes to your mind? Maybe for some of you, Bernie Madoff comes to mind, the Ponzi scheme guy. Or maybe a company comes to mind like Amazon or Apple or something like that. Or maybe Mark Zuckerberg comes to mind when I say the word greed. Or maybe you think of a fictional character like Ebenezer Scrooge when you think of the word greedy. Or maybe a stereotypical profile comes into your mind when you hear the word greedy. Maybe you think of a gender or maybe you think of a specific race when you hear the word greedy. And although we can easily see it in others, greed isn't always easy to identify or see in our own hearts. And for us Americans, greed is to us what North Dakota is to the U.S. states. It's easy to forget that it exists. (laughs) But boy, does it exist, and it can alienate us from God, and it can definitely alienate us from each other. So what is greed? Let's try and define greed. Greed is an excessive desire or craving for something when you don't need it. Just from that definition, all of us operate in greed in some area of our lives. It puts what it desires over moral principle. It's an obsessive attitude towards things of value. It's a form of idolatry. And you can have greed towards a lot of things. Most of you probably think of money when you think of the word greed, but you can have an attitude of greed towards power. You can have an attitude of greed towards sex. You can have an attitude of greed towards acceptance or approval. You can be greedy with your time. There's many, many areas and things in our lives that we can be greedy with. It's not just money. And we see greed at work from a very young age, don't we? I have two young kids, an eight-year-old son and a six-year-old daughter, and I've seen greed at work at a very young age where they don't want to share with one another. Maybe you've seen it where mom bakes a batch of cookies, or dad, trying to discriminate. It's not just moms that can (laughs) bake cookies. Mom or dad bakes a batch of cookies and one kid tries to grab all of them for themselves even though if they get to eat all of that, nobody else gets to have any. Greed starts from a very, very young age. Jesus tells us in Mark chapter 7 that greed comes from within a sinful heart. One of the characteristics of a sinful heart is that we can operate in a level of greed in our lives. And so... For today's text, for today's story, we're going to be in an Old Testament story today found in the book of 2 Kings. So if you have your Bibles, your phones, or your tablets, you can turn there, or it will be up on the screen for you to read along. 
And we're going to be in chapter 5, and we're going to start with verse number 15 and read 15 and 16. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. Let me give you a little backstory and context to this passage that I just read. Naaman was the commander of the Syrian army and a decorated warrior with many, many victories under his belt. He was very wealthy and he was very influential and he was a very powerful man in his country. But he had leprosy, which is a terrible, terrible skin disease. And through Naaman's servant, a girl who happened to be Jewish, he found out about Elisha the prophet and went to him to be healed. And so he goes to Elisha and the prophet tells him to go wash himself seven times in the Jordan River. And once he did that, he was healed completely of his leprosy. And in the verses we just read, Naaman did what Elisha told him to do. He dipped himself seven times in that Jordan River. And he comes back fully clean, fully healed, and out of a heart of gratitude, he wants to give the prophet some gifts. And I think he had a heart of gratitude, and I also think he wanted to repay the prophet for his services as well. But Elisha, wanting to show Naaman that the grace of God was free and could not be paid for. It's a free gift. The grace of God is a free gift you cannot pay you cannot earn the grace of God. And to show Naaman this, he refused to take any sort of payment, any sort of gift from Naaman. So let me go on a small tangent for a millisecond here. If anyone on TV, the internets, radio, or anything ever says, for 1999, I will pray for your healing, they are a false prophet. They're operating in a spirit of greed and you need to stay away from that person. Amen? Tangent over. Okay? As your pastor, I command you not to listen to someone that wants to charge you for a healing or charge you for a prophecy. Okay? That's out of a heart of greed. But let's look at what happens next in verse number 20. Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, my master was too easy on Naaman, this Aramean, by not accepting from him what he brought. As surely as the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi hurried after Naaman. The NASB actually says that Gehazi pursued Naaman. Could it be that some of the good things we're pursuing is actually out of a heart of greed? Let's continue on. When Naaman saw him running toward him, he got down from the chariot to meet him. Is everything all right? He asked. Everything is all right, Gehazi answered. My master sent me to say, two young men from the company of the prophets have just come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two sets of clothing. By all means, take two talents, said Naaman. He urged Gehazi to accept them and then tied up the two talents of silver in two bags with two sets of clothing. 
He gave them to two of his servants, and they carried them ahead of Gehazi. Verse 24, when Gehazi came to the hill, he took the things from the servants and put them away in his house. He sent the men away, and they left. Now we see another character enter the story, and his name is Gehazi. Gehazi was Elisha's servant or armor bearer. He was like an assistant to the prophet Elisha. Gehazi is only mentioned a few times in Scripture, in 2 Kings, throughout chapters 4 through 8. And as we can see in this story, Gehazi has a very sinister agenda and plan going on. And his actions here show us some aspects of greed that I want to pull out of the story for us, and I think they're going to teach us something about our hearts. Number one, entitlement is a form of greed. Entitlement is a form of greed. In verse 20, Gehazi justifies his greed by telling himself that his master let Naaman off easy and that by taking some of the gifts for himself, he was allowing Naaman to show gratitude for the healing he had just received from the prophet. Gehazi felt entitled to some of Naaman's gifts because his master had healed him of his leprosy. And what's crazy about this whole situation is that Gehazi had absolutely nothing to do with Naaman's healing, yet he was the one that felt entitled to some gifts from Naaman. Greed manifests itself in feeling entitled some, to something you did nothing to earn. Greed manifests itself in feeling entitled to something you didn't work for or that you didn't earn. If you constantly feel like society owes you something, you might have greed in your heart. If you constantly feel like someone who has more than you owes you something, you might have greed in your heart. Let's look at greed and entitlement in a parable that Jesus shared with his disciples in Matthew chapter 18, starting with verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And most commentaries tell us that this is the, this is the equivalent to about $12 million that this man owed. Okay. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Verse 28. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. And each silver coin was worth about 16 cents. <laughs> It was a laborer's day wages. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? 
In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Look at the greed manifested in entitlement all over the servant in this parable. He felt entitled to get back in full the small debt one of his servants owed him while he had just been forgiven a huge debt of $12 million. Right there, you see a spirit of greed manifesting all over this guy. How many of us demand of others what we have gotten out of ourselves? Greed doesn't want to give, but it definitely wants to take. And Jesus, in this parable, was actually responding to a question Peter asked. Peter asked Jesus, how often should I forgive a brother when they wrong me, when they sin against me? How often, how many times should I forgive my brother that sins against me? And that's when Jesus launched into this parable about forgiveness. And let me tell you something, church. If we've experienced the forgiveness of sins from Jesus Christ, then unforgiveness towards someone else is a form of greed. Okay? How can we freely receive Christ's forgiveness for all of our sins, past, present, and future, yet hold on to forgiveness towards someone else that hurt us, or someone else that wronged us, or someone else that offended us? Well, you don't understand what this person did to me, Pastor. You don't understand how hard it was. You don't understand how bad they hurt me. You don't understand how evil it was. You don't understand how offensive it was. By this next statement, in no way am I trying to make light of what was done to you. For those of you that know me, you know I have a pastor's heart, and I care deeply for your soul, and that is why I need to say what I'm going to say next. Okay? I'm going to ask you a couple questions. Did the person who hurt you hammer large nails into your hands and feet? Did that person whip you to the point that your skin was literally ripping off of your back? Did that person hang you on a cross naked, fully exposed for everyone to see? And I'm asking this because that is what your forgiven sin and my forgiven sin cost our Savior. That's what it cost Him. When our sin cost our Savior so much, it should compel us to forgive those who have hurt us, even if they deeply hurt us. And when we decide to withhold forgiveness, we are operating in a heart of greed. The language of greed is, I am entitled to what I am unwilling to give. We want to live in a society where everyone is treated equally, regardless of race, age, and gender, right? We want everybody, we want our equal rights, especially in this city. If you want that, if you want equality across ages, genders, races, then I want you personally to look at who your friends are. Do they all look like you? Because if they do, then that means you expect or feel entitled to something that you're unwilling to do something about. Okay, if you say, I want, I want equality for everybody, yet everybody you surround yourself with looks just like you, then you're unwilling to personally do something to something you're willing to preach about and believe in. Amen? And I want to push on you a little bit here, and I want to challenge you a little bit here. I, I want you to think about the last five people you had coffee with 
or you had lunch with that's not your family. I want you to think about that. And I want you to envision it in your head, and I want you to answer the question to yourself, do they look just like you? And if they do, you need to start having coffee and lunch with different people, okay? The second thing I want to pull out of this story is this. A greedy heart puts what it wants above moral principle. A greedy heart puts what it wants above moral principle. Let's take a look at Gehazi in the text. So Gehazi pursued Naaman. When Naaman saw him running towards him, he got down from the chariot to meet him. Is everything all right, he asked? Everything is all right, Gehazi answered. My master sent me to say. And let's stop right there. What comes next is purely fabrication because Gehazi's master, Elisha, didn't send Gehazi anywhere. He didn't send him to track down Naaman. He didn't send him anywhere. It was a straight-up lie, a lie motivated by Gehazi's greed. Now, let's read the rest of verse 22. Everything is all right, Gehazi answered. My master sent me to say, two young men from the company of the prophets have just come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two sets of clothing. Greed is often masked in selflessness. Greed is often masked in selflessness. Gehazi lied to Naaman and told him that these gifts were for these two young college students who were just studying all day and all night, and all they had to eat was ramen noodles, the, the type you buy at the store, those 25-cent packages, not the $15 bowls that the restaurants sell now. All they have to eat is ramen noodles, and they need a handout. They need some help, and so my master sent me to you, so can you give them some gifts? And so he lies to Naaman and tells him this story, and we know this is a lie, and he intended all along to keep this for himself because in verse 24, it tells us that as soon as they got out of the distance of Naaman, he took the money, he took the clothes, put it in his house, and sent the servants away. He didn't even pay those servants anything for going along with this scheme. Talk about greed and stinginess. Gehazi masked his greed in a fake selflessness. At work, or maybe even at school, how many of us have ever known someone that went out of their way to be kind to management and to be available to management and to act like they were willing to do anything to those that outranked them, but you knew that their motives were impure. You knew that it was not out of the goodness of their heart and it was not out of the benefit of the company. They wanted something for them. So how many of you have ever known someone like that? Okay, some of y'all know that. And you can tell their impure motives because they're super helpful, they're super nice to those that are above them, but they are complete jerks to their peers and definitely to those that are under their leadership. They're complete and total jerks to them. That person is walking in a greed for power, masked in selflessness. Okay? They're acting like they're available, they're acting like they'll do whatever it takes, but to those that are on their same level or under them, they are terrible to them. Proverbs 15, 27 says this, The greedy bring ruin to their households, but the one who hates bribes will live. Why do the greedy bring ruin to their households? 
It's because they are willing to compromise their integrity in order to get what they want. In order to get what they want, they're willing to compromise their integrity and their reputation. They're willing to be bribed if it means they'll get that position of power that they're craving. They're willing to lie and cheat if it means a big payday or more money in their bank account. For them, the means justify the ends. Gehazi compromised his integrity once he felt entitled to some of Naaman's gifts, but he acted on it when he lied in order to get what he wanted. Anybody in here ever heard of Kwame Kilpatrick? Some of y'all have heard of Kwame Kilpatrick? Okay. He was, for those of you that don't know, he was a superstar politician that rose through the ranks quickly. And in 2001, he became Detroit's youngest mayor at age 31. And although his career started out promising, corruption got the best of Kwame. He has been riddled with stints in prison, but the last thing he was convicted of was major corruption charges that included bribery, extortion, and fraud that landed him in prison for 28 years, which is where he is currently at. He pocketed hundreds of thousands of dollars and maybe possibly even millions of taxpayers' dollars. He pocketed it. Some say he, instead of someone you might have heard of named Barack Obama, could have been the first African-American president. That is how gifted he was. But greed was his downfall. And his career was cut short because of that greed. Greed was Kwame Kilpatrick's undoing. Greed never ends well. Let me say that again. Greed never ends well. It didn't end well for Gehazi, and it won't end well for you. Let's look at exactly what happened to Gehazi. Verse 25, when he went in and stood before his master, Elisha asked him, where have you been, Gehazi? Well, your servant didn't go anywhere, Gehazi answered. Things just go from bad to worse for Gehazi. How dumb could Gehazi be? He was trying to lie to a prophet for crying out loud. If you're going to lie, which I don't recommend because it's a sin, but if you're going to lie, don't lie to a prophet. They hear from God for a living, okay? But Gehazi tried to lie to his master, Elisha. And this part of the story brought back a lot of memories from my teenage years. Uh, my room, uh, was we had a basement in our house, and my room was in the basement. I had a window in my room, and so... Uh, from time to time, I would sneak out, out of the house when I thought my parents were asleep, and I'd go hang out and party with my friends all night long, doing things that I shouldn't be doing, come back at 5 or 6 in the morning, and I thought I had gotten away with it, only to be confronted by my mom the next day saying, Stephen, where were you? I thought I had gotten away with it, but I didn't get away with anything with my mom. She always knew what I was Doing. And so Gehazi answers Elisha his question with, your servant didn't go anywhere. But Elisha said to him, was not my spirit with you when the man got down from his chariot to meet you? Is this the time to take money or to accept clothes or olive groves and vineyards or flocks or herds or male and female slaves? Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and to your descendants forever. 
Then Gehazi went from Elisha's presence, and his skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. The very disease that Naaman was just healed from came upon Gehazi, and not only Gehazi, but his descendants that would come after him. God's judgment came down on Gehazi because of his greed. Gehazi's greed cost him his reputation, it cost him his integrity, and it cost him his health. And I'm telling you, church, if we don't get a hold on our greed, it will cost us the same thing in our lives. Can I share a passage of scripture with you that might make some of you mad? Even if you said no, I'm going to share it anyway. And this scripture, this passage might make you mad, especially if you have ever said, no one should judge me. The church shouldn't judge me. Because Jesus said, judge not lest you be judged. If you've ever said that, what I'm about to read is going to make you mad. Because what you're saying is really uh, code for, don't call me out on my sin because I enjoy it and I want to keep doing it. So I don't want to feel guilty about it. Okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 5, starting with verse number 9. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. In other words, don't judge people that are outside the church. Don't judge people that don't call themselves Christians because how do we expect them to uh, be formed according to the image and likeness of Jesus if they're not serving Jesus. So that's what Paul is saying. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. Paul is saying if a brother or sister is in the church calling themselves a Christian, but is walking and operating in, in, in these types of sins, don't even eat with them. Don't even identify with them. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. Man, this is harsh, harsh language. And a lot of pastors, a lot of churches, that kind of just skip over this passage. And this is the Apostle Paul who wrote this. Yeah, the faith alone, grace alone guy. The Bible does not have a positive view on greed, and Paul lists greed along with sexual immorality, idolatry, and drunkenness, which all happen to be sins that Christians love to justify, right? But Paul lists greed along with all of these other things. And so I want to ask you a question, and if I could have the worship team come up. What is the anecdote to greed? What is the anecdote to greed? Because we might be looking at Gehazi in this story and think, man, he was a terrible person. He was a deceitful person. He was a greedy person. But let me tell you something, church. There is a Gehazi in every one of us. Okay? Some of us might be operating in more of a heart of greed than others, but all of us have a portion, have some sort of greed. All of us can identify with Gehazi on some level or other. And if you think you don't have Gehazi in you, you're probably worse than everybody else. You, I, I mean, I'm just saying, if you can see Gehazi in you, you got some help. You got some hope. But if you can't see Gehazi in you at all, man, you're in trouble. 
Okay, you're in trouble. So what is the antidote to greed? How do you fix a greedy heart, whether that be greed for power or greed for money or greed for attention or something else? Because remember, greed is an excessive desire for or an obsession with something of value. So all of us, all of us, regardless of where our spiritual maturity is at, we have a Gehazi living and breathing and working inside of us. And the truth of the matter is the only solution to greed is the gospel. The only solution to greed is the gospel. Let's look at Paul again in 2 Corinthians chapter number 8 in verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. The gospel fights greed by saying, look at Jesus who had all the wealth in heaven. He had all the riches of his father at his disposal. Yet for our sake, he became poor so that through him we could become rich. The gospel fights greed by saying, look at the grace of Jesus poured out on us until our greedy hearts become generous hearts. Look at Jesus. And look at the generosity of Jesus until the greed in our hearts turns into generosity because we're so grateful and we're so thankful. We must give our greed away. Yeah. Let me say that again. We must give our greed away. We can't think our greed away. We can't try to earn our greed away. We can't fight our greed away. We have to give our greed away. Away. In other words, we must give ourselves out of our greed. Generosity. Generosity is the greatest way to combat greed. And we can be generous because Jesus has been generous to us. He has been generous to us by pouring out and freely giving us his wealth. By freely giving his life for us. And so when we look at Jesus, man, that should, that should destroy the greed out of our hearts. When we see how generous and, and how, how lavish Jesus' giving to us has been. The gospel convicts us of entitlement because even though Jesus was justified in being entitled, after all, he was God, he was rich, he was powerful, he was sinless, yet made himself poor so that through him, through a relationship with him, we could receive the rich benefits of salvation and the rich benefits of fulfillment and satisfaction that comes through a relationship with Jesus. The way to overcome greed in our hearts is through generosity birthed out of an understanding of Jesus pouring everything out for us. Jesus' love gives us something, provides us something that money could never provide us. Status as a child of God. Money can't give you status as a child of God. Money can't save you. Your possessions that you're acquiring cannot save you. Power cannot save you. Only Jesus can save you. Only Jesus can satisfy you. Only Jesus can fulfill you. 
And so that greed, I got to have more. I got to have more. I got to have more. I crave more. I crave more. Guys, that's never going to be satisfied in you. You're always going to feel like I have to have a bigger house. I got to live in a better neighborhood. I got to have a better car. I got to have more money in the account. I got to have more power. I got to have more authority. I got to have more friends. I've got to have more education. It's never going to end. Only Jesus can still that discontentment in our hearts. Only Jesus can still it. So today, the only anecdote to greed is Jesus. And the way you combat greed is by being generous. Being generous to the kingdom of God with your money. Being generous to the kingdom of God with your time. Being generous to the kingdom of God with your gifts, your talents, your abilities. Being generous to the kingdom of God with your mind. Some of you have brilliant strategies in your mind and and you're not using it for the kingdom. Using your mind for the glory of God. That's what stills, that's what destroys the greed in our hearts. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.